Rappers and them Cartiers I do my thing any harder way And if you know where we're going Then you probably gonna be coming with us what is up guys we are back with another episode of mainly celtics uh i'm doing this one on my own this week but we had a pretty pretty good week i feel like for celtics fans um started off with the bucks the bucks were without lopez and divincenzo who they've really been without this entire season so that's not really anything um too concerning for them uh the celtics on on the other hand we were without josh richardson who had entered its health and safety protocol and we just found out recently that he's back in health and safety protocol after he initially tested positive last week. Now he's back in it for either, I don't know if it's contact tracing or he tested positive once again. Um, either way, it looks like we're going to be without him for the Philadelphia game that's supposed to be going on tomorrow. But we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later because um, obviously Philly had their game canceled today. If you're when probably yesterday when you're listening to this on Sunday. Um, so we'll have to wait and see whether or not they are going to play on Monday. But um, let's get into the Bucks celtics uh, As far as that game went, um, they did a very good job uh, containing Chris Middleton. I know he got injured at a point in this game, but still, he was 24 minutes in the game, only had four points, and typically Chris Middleton's the type of dude that absolutely just thrashes us. Um, I don't know what his like, averages against Celtics are, but for the most part, it seems like he does a lot of work. He does work against us. Um, Giannis, another guy, obviously Giannis is an incredible talent. Uh, we were able to, to, I would say, do a pretty good job defending him. He's still at 20 points, but, I mean, you got to take take those games <laughs> when you're facing Giannis. You really got to – 20 points isn't that big. Um, he didn't kill us, that's for sure. Um, I thought Al played tremendous on him. He was matched up with him most of the night. They did a very good job uh, defending Giannis as a team, really trying to take away him, take away him and force his teammates to – kind of chip in and help do help uh help out to get the victory um so that was a huge win for us obviously we talked about last week the celtics were really reeling after a one and four trip out west so it was good to be able to beat the bucks a team that's obviously still um going to be a good team a team that's going to be one of the best competitors in the eastern conference so that victory was huge um what are some other things i noticed from that game uh so Tatum, of course, was incredible. 42 points from that game. Um, having Jalen back was huge as well. Um, he played he played fairly well. Um, really helps open up the court. I think we talked about last week about how the lineup, the, the typical starting lineup with Schroeder instead of Jalen was shooting about 25% from the field. So just having that extra shooter and um, constantly on the court with him or on the court large majority of the time or at least more than what he had been replacing some of those Schroeder's minutes with Jalen minutes really opens up the court and lets Jason um really operate the way he wants to be able to get to the basket still be able to shoot threes but a lot less pressure on him as well because obviously we know Jalen Brown is a kind of another echelon above um where you probably consider Dennis Schroeder as a player and as an offensive player and a scorer um Grant Grant was huge Grant's been huge all year um, I was someone that was, I feel like I was really down on Grant this offseason because he elected not to play in the summer league. He was a guy that really came off a disappointing sophomore season. Um, after having a pretty promising rookie year, like playing a huge role for us in the bubble, but he's come back and really kind of recreated himself as a player. Like he went from being a guy that he was shooting threes, but definitely not making them. He was a, not a small ball five, but he was a small five. 
and he got skinnier this year. Now he's playing more of the power forward. It looks like a more natural position for him. And he's been a really effective court spacer for us. I mean, we talked about it last year with him and Semi. Like, they're going to leave you open. So if you can just hit 38% of your open threes, like, that would be a huge plus. Last year, both those guys were obviously very poor from there. And other teams could really leave him wide open, which made it really tough for the Jays to operate. But this year, um, like I mentioned, he was 5 for 7 last night, or the other night against the Bucks. He hadn't played the our previous two games that we're going to talk about later. So his current three-point percentage is about 45% on the season, which is just obviously incredible. Like, like I, if you would have told me Grant was shooting 45% from, from three this year, I was going to, I would have called you crazy. But here we are, um, about a third of the way through the season, he's still doing it. So that's very impressive as well. Um, next up, we have the Warriors. So we, we talked about this gauntlet of a schedule. It certainly didn't get any easier with our next game against the Warriors. Um, they're without Jordan Poole. They're obviously without Clay and uh, Wiseman, but they've been without Clay and Wiseman for pretty much or this whole season. They have been without them. So that wasn't a huge loss for them. Um, for us, we were really thin, especially in the front court, especially with our big men. Uh, we were without Grant Jabari. Yeah, Grant Jabari and Al this game. Um, so that obviously impacts us a lot. It wasn't really concerning not having or having Rob on the floor and not being able to have Al as that backup, being able to go small. What was more concerning is we had NS as their only backup big. And, of course, you know how terrible he is defensively, especially um, when teams go small and they are able to move the ball around. And we really saw NS play very poorly um, during the Warriors game. Like, he was just bad. They exposed him, which I thought was going to happen. And if you're already going to be down a lot of your key players, you're really going to need to play a perfect game outside of that in order to win, in order to beat this team. Um, they definitely missed a couple free throws on the stretch. Um, Naismith looked really good. I was really impressed with him, and we were going to talk about him and Pritchard a little bit too. Um, just having them kind of back in the rotation a little bit, they just, they just provide a little bit of energy. Like, they're just fun. They're always going hard. Um, they're flying around. They're, and they're guys that can make shots, obviously not super consistently. Um, if that was the case, they would probably be more in the, in the, in the regular rotation, but they still do provide a spark. They do still provide that threat that they're going to be able to shoot at times, especially when they're feeling it. And in this case, Neesmith was, and it was huge for the Celtics set up in this game. Um, Jalen Smart and Richardson all played well. Um, we're going to kind of talk about Richardson. Um, I was able to watch the next game, but Richardson was great. Um, again, in the Warriors game, um, the, the problem with this game against the Warriors, they really they really shot themselves in the foot early on. They obviously got down to a um, a big deficit in the first half. They had a great third quarter, which is very odd for a couple of reasons. Um, Celtics aren't a great third quarter team, and I believe the Warriors are one of the best. So it's really surprising that the Celtics were able to make that comeback in the second half because the Warriors have been really good at finishing off teams when they've had uh, sizable leads in the first half. So that showed a lot of heart. Obviously, it wasn't enough. Um, like I said, you're really going to need to bring your A game. And they, they really didn't with the guys that they had. They still played well for the most part. Um, but, yeah. So those are my thoughts on the Warriors game. And last but not least, we had the Knicks game. Um, the Knicks, obviously, with you guys should be aware of what's going on like with the NBA most teams are dealing with significant number of players that are in COVID protocol. So we've been seeing a lot of skeleton rosters of, of teams, and it really started to come into effect probably probably after the Bucks game, I think Tuesday. I don't know, my days are getting all mixed up now. But um, 
after the Bucks game, we started to see at the end, towards the end of last week, a lot of cases start really cranking up, and and it really affected the Celtics, but it affected other teams as well. Um, the Knicks were without. Let me see what I have here. The Knicks were without Emmanuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, Obi Top, and Derrick Rose. Celtics were missing pretty much all their front court, all their big men. Uh, missing Al Grant. They were also missing Schroeder, who is out with a, I believe, a non-COVID illness. Um, Jabari and Romeo, who had sprained his neck in the middle of the um, game against the Warriors. Um, great first half. The Celtics were up a lot. I thought this was going to be a cakewalk. I was in attendance. I was like, maybe like, oh, maybe I can get a little bit early. Um, beat the traffic. But then the Knicks came storming back in the third quarter. And this was like, like I mentioned earlier when I was mentioning all the guys that were out. This is a really depleted Knicks team. Um, Kemba, obviously a guy that we Celtics fans are very familiar with. Um, he'd been pretty much buried on the Knicks bench because he'd been so ineffective for him um, throughout most of the season. But he had a monstrous game against us last night. I believe he had 29. And another former Celtic, uh, <laughs> Evan Fournier, also had an incredible game. I believe he had 32. Um, but I think the Celtics game plan coming in was really to eliminate RJ, or not RJ Barrett, eliminate Julius Randle's effectiveness. And after that, just kind of like hope that the role players don't beat you, especially with a lot of those guys out that haven't key role players for them. They were pretty much going to let the guys that were the second unit guys, the end of the bench guys, they're getting an opportunity to try and beat them. And and at, in the end, it was effective. Um, so what else do I have here? Um, yeah, third quarter was fairly upsetting. They got off to, I think, a 17-2 start the Knicks did to basically completely erase the deficit and get a lead. Um, focus seemed to be on stopping Randall. Obviously, we were without Al, who's in a perfect world, probably the best guy we have to guard Julius Randle. Um, we saw Julius Randle really beat up on Grant the first matchup they had. And Al's obviously a little bit bigger than Grant and known to be a very good defender on some of those bigger, more physical guys. So I was really excited to see this matchup between um, Al and Julius when I saw it on the schedule because we missed it, obviously, to start the year this year. Um, it was very interesting how they defended him. I saw a lot of Rob on him. I saw a lot of Ennis on him. When possible, they were leaving guys like Jason Tatum on Nerlens Noel and just basically dealing with it, just trying to get a physical, big physical body on Julius Randle to avoid uh, mismatches in the paint. Because obviously, because I keep saying obviously, because Jason Tatum was playing the four, they didn't really have traditional forwards playing the four for most of this game. And Julius Randle did play some at center, but he obviously shares a lot of minutes with either Nerlens Noel or Mitchell Robinson. So having those two big guys, you really got to pick your poison with who you're going to try and deal with. And Julius Randle is a much more complete offensive player, much better offensive player than either Robinson or Noel. So they they stuck Jason Tatum on Noel and Robinson for a lot of the game. Um, when Robinson was in, they actually did use some Ennis-Rob front court, which was very interesting to see. I hadn't seen that very much. I don't think I've ever seen that before. So that was a little interesting look to to throw out there. But... They were putting the the guys that were playing the four in this case on the centers to be able to keep that big physical body on Julius Randle, and it seemed to work pretty effectively. He definitely didn't beat us, um, so that was that was huge. Um, Ennis once again looked bad. 
Um, he's not very good. He doesn't protect the paint at all. Um, you get him on switches, you get a lot of easy opportunities for guards to be able to hit pull-up shots. Uh, in an ideal world, I'm really hoping that we get Al back soon because we're not going to be able to beat a lot of these good teams with NS on the court being exposed like this. He's obviously good in certain matchups like we saw with Embiid. He can be really effective when he's playing against a big physical center that's going to like to try and post guys up. He can be effective, but when you're playing guys and they're intentionally trying to do pick and rolls to get guys like Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier on him, and he's not effective even when he is playing drop coverage on some maybe some poor shooters, and he's at the paint and not really doing anything around the rim, that's it, it's pretty tough. But um, Easily the best game I've ever seen Josh Richardson play in a Celtics uniform. Um I believe he, over the last month, is shooting 50% from three, and he's got his three-point percentage over 40% on the year, which coming in this year, we kind of talked about how my biggest concerns of Richardson, Smart, and Schroeder were the lack, was the lack of shooting. And we've seen the lineups with Smart and Schroeder be pretty ineffective, like we talked about the starting lineup with poor shooting. With Richardson, it hasn't been the case because obviously he's been, of recent, shooting the ball really well, so it doesn't really cause any issues shooting wise or spacing wise for this team so he's been huge as a role player for us I know I was begging for early minutes for for Neesmith instead of Richardson but he's been he's been providing very valuable minutes for us recently so it's been very nice to see um just a couple more things uh yeah I liked what I saw from Pritchard Neesmith this week um, even in last night's game, I don't think Neesmith scored a point. I still just liked his energy. I think he had like seven or eight rebounds. Like he's just flying around hustling. He still provides a threat to shoot. Guys are going to guard him around the three point line, no matter what, because he is a guy that when he is hot, he can hit a couple in a row. Um, Pritchard was absolutely just tooling on Kemba, uh, last night, whenever they they were matched up together a lot with Kemba guarding him defensively and, Pritchard's really taking advantage of it. He was hitting some big threes. He was getting to the paint, being able to score. He was driving driving to the bucket past Kemba. He looked really good. Um, I'd like to see more Pritchard minutes going forward. Um, we kind of discussed trading uh, what would happen with Trey Schroeder. And I'm in the camp right now where I don't know if that's actually going to make the team worse. Like I know it might be a, look like a sell-off move, but I don't know how much it really affects the team because of the plus that Pritchard and Neesmith can provide shooting-wise which would, I think, make create a better fit around um, the Jays. Even though Schroeder, I, I think Schroeder is definitely a better player than both those two guys. I just think maybe the fit would be a little bit better with Neesmith and Pritchard getting a little bit more of the minutes to help improve the spacing. Um, we have tomorrow. I kind of talked about tomorrow we have Philly. Um, Philly's been pretty depleted. I'm not exactly sure who's out for them. Uh and the Cavs are very depleted as well. They're both teams. I believe they both postponed their games today. I think Cavs might postpone their games tomorrow. But those are our next two games in our schedule. And it's looking like both those um, might not get moved necessarily. They could get moved. But even if they are played from both sides, it's probably going to be a very thin roster. They're probably going to have to call up some guys that had spent a lot of time in the G League this year. Um, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'll kind of reiterate it now. Josh Richardson is back in COVID protocol. So he joins um, Al, Grant, Jabari, Wancho. Um, I believe both of our two-way guys, Broderick Thomas and Sam Hauser are as well. So we have seven guys in COVID protocol. Romeo Lankford's questionable. I think Dennis Schroeder's questionable. 
and Tatum's questionable with a sprained ankle. So we could be running out a real skeleton crew against Philly, which wouldn't be ideal. Hopefully we can take advantage of it. Maybe it will get postponed. That'd be beneficial for the Celtics side, I think, because I think especially if Tatum can't play, um, I think that gives a huge advantage to the 76ers. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I was excited to see Evan Mobley play against the Celtics, but I think he's one of the ones in COVID protocol for Cleveland. So if that game doesn't get postponed, I think we'll probably miss our opportunity to see him. Uh, a guy who I think will probably most likely run away with Rookie of the Year this year. Um, so I should mention, we're of course the Mainly Celtics podcast. Uh, we came up with this name prior to the main Red Claw switching their name to the main Celtics. But I think some attention should be paid to them. They're 10-2 this year. They've been absolutely dominant. They've been uh, just one of the best teams in the entire G League. And some of our two-way guys, uh, like I mentioned before, the two guys are in COVID protocol right now, uh, Broderick Thomas and Sam Hauser. They're kind of leading the way. Uh, Thomas is scoring 19.3 points a game, and Hauser's averaging 16.9. So it's a pretty bright future that these two guys are being very successful um, individually on a very successful team. I think that bodes well for the Celtics and bodes well for them becoming um, possibly like even just end of the bench guys that kind of are spot rotational guys based on certain matchups. If they if they're being successful on a team that's winning, I I do think that bodes well for them and their success. Okay, and the last kind of segment I have today. Um, actually, before we get into that, I want to mention Isaiah Thomas getting signed, which is very cool to see. Um, obviously, I'm the Los Angeles Lakers. I believe he scored 20 points or he scored 19 one game. And but he either way, he's been very effective in both the games that he's played for the Lakers. I believe he's he's played too. Um, don't fact check me on that, but um, he's been really good. Obviously, you know, I'm sure all Celtics fans listening, big fans of Isaiah Thomas. And I think everyone wants to do well, even though it is in a Lakers uniform. I think we still can root for his individual success, even if we're not rooting necessarily for the Lakers team success. And Danny Ainge, our former, I believe his title here is GM and president of basketball operations. I think he's becoming, or he was named president of basketball operations for the Utah Jazz. Um, I think he is a Utah guy, or I think he's, he went to school at BYU. I know that. Um, so he's obviously had connections there. So he's joining that team. He's going to be working as president of basketball operations. They're retaining their GM. So I think they're going to be kind of working, um, together as far as decision makings for the jazz. So that was kind of interesting to see. Um, obviously he kind of said that he wanted to take some time off. I believe, I don't know if he said he was retiring, but uh, I think people assume that maybe he was going to take more of an extended break off than just a couple months. But he is obviously now back in the NBA. And hopefully maybe he can facilitate a deal to get us Donovan Mitchell somehow without uh, giving up any of the Jays. That would be nice. Real nice of him. Um, so last thing I want to do, um, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, I think it's been probably the definitely top three most anticipated movie of this year. Um, I finally get to go see it. I want to talk about it in depth uh, with, with some other people probably likely be the podcast next week i can give a quick spoiler free review um in just a couple minutes right now 
Uh, I personally think that it was one of, I think it's the best movie I've seen this year. I've seen about 25 movies from 2021. I think that one ranks number one. Um, I think it's probably my third, second or third favorite Marvel movie, right up there in the same tier of Endgame and Infinity War, just as far as impact and scale. Um, I, I just really liked it overall. I thought that they obviously did a lot of fan service. Um, just from the trailers, you can tell they brought back a lot of the, a lot of the villains from some of the old, some of the old Spider-Man movies. So that was nice to see. I think one of those being that was already shown was the Green Goblin or Norman Osborn, and he was incredible. Willem Dafoe was absolutely incredible in this movie. Um, Tom Holland once again was amazing. Zendaya, of course, uh, just overall really great movie. Good action scenes. Um, really good story. I think just the range of emotions they were able to hit throughout this movie was was really, really good. And I really, really liked it. I, I I don't see very many movies that are like this in scale. Obviously, it's a different impact for me because I'm a huge fan of the MCU and Marvel in general. But this is, I think, going to have a big impact on a lot of the Marvel movies going forward. Um, I think individually on its own. I think if you're just a fan of Spider-Man in general, just the character, I think you, you should go see it. Um, like I said, it, I go from, you go from a lot of laughs, you go to a lot of very dramatic, very kind of sad moments. I think I had a good, good closure. The fight scenes were good. Um, I think one of the, some of the, some of the co-stars, not necessarily Tom Holland, I think really stepped up and played huge roles in this. Like I mentioned, like Willem Dafoe. Um, I just thought it was a very like balanced movie. I felt like the pacing was good. It's a long movie, two hours and 20 minutes, but it certainly doesn't feel like a long movie. Um, it really kind of flew by. I was totally invested, totally locked in. Um, like I said, I may be a little biased because I'm a huge Marvel fan, but I definitely suggest that you guys go see it. Um, I'm going to probably watch it again in IMAX sometime next week. So I'll be excited to watch that once again. Maybe maybe my help will die down a little bit. Maybe I'll be at the same place. Maybe I'll be more excited after watching kind of a better theater experience. But um, no, once again, I suggest you guys go see it. It's my favorite movie of the year. And I hope that you guys have a wonderful Christmas break. We'll probably be back, I think, post-Christmas with, like I said, a Spider-Man review, maybe a more movie-based podcast. I will mention the Celtics stuff probably at the beginning. But I hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas and a very happy holidays.